Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz, and my guest today is Charles Duhigg. He is a staff writer at the New York Times and author of The Power of Habit, a book about the science of habit formation and its application among individuals, companies, and societies. So, Charles, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. So, you cover a lot of things at the New York Times. In fact, you were in Afghanistan for a while, right? Covering the covering... Right, in, in Iraq. Yeah, Iraq, I was. Okay. I was in Iraq um, right after the uh, back in '03 and '04. Okay, so you've covered a lot of stuff at the New York Times. Why habits? How did that sort of catch your fancy? Well, it actually started in Iraq. I um, w- when I got there, I, I was looking for stories to tell, and I heard about this major about an hour south in a city named Kufa who had stopped riots by taking food vendors out of the plazas. And when I asked him why he had thought to do this, he said that the the habits of crowds are just like the habits of individuals. And the U.S. military is like this giant habit machine that just changes the habits of, of its troops and teaches them about the science of habits. And so I got so interested that when I came back to the U.S., I started reading everything I could and and discovered that there's some stuff that in the last decade we've learned some stuff that's just kind of amazing. Well, in fact, um, you know, you talk about crowds. I mean, the military in some ways is with a big giant crowd often, right? Right. And, and, and they really depend on habits, right? We don't want our people thinking. We want them doing, right? I mean, because that, exactly. that's like – how we're able to move people quickly and hopefully keep them safe and all that. So um, you, you actually also cite in the book, um, I don't remember when this was done, but a, a research study that, that, that says we really, I mean, habits run us more than we know, that 40% of our actions, there it is, 40% of our actions are habits, not real decisions. Um, I find that both frightening and uh, enlightening. <laughs> right, and it's and, and and that's actually from a Duke study. And, and what's so interesting about it, and and this is true of the military exactly as you pointed out, as well as workplaces and how we even run some of the biggest companies, is that what we've learned is the neurology of how habits work. That every habit has a cue, three parts: a cue, a routine, and a reward. And that we can change individuals' habits with that. But when when sociologists and psychologists and even neurologists have gone into companies, what they found is that you can influence thousands of people's automatic behaviors and that that makes for better productivity and more efficiency and safer work and ultimately bigger profits in a lot of companies. Well, explain this idea. This You, you just threw out this, what, what I think you call in the book, the three-step process by which habits are developed. So you said cue, routine, and reward. So So maybe just kind of explain each of those components a little bit. Sure, absolutely. So so every habit in our neurology has these three parts. There's the cue, which is kind of the trigger where your brain says, okay, I'm going to go ahead and use an automatic routine now. And then there's, and, and your brain actually kind of quiets down when a habit happens. You think less, which is why it feels so automatic. So almost as if you're powerless against it. And then after the cue, there's the routine, which is the behavior itself. That's what we usually think of as the habit. And then at the end of that habit, your brain kind of shakes itself awake, and there's a reward. And the reward is how your neurology decides whether to, sh- to store this pattern for future or whether to forget it. And when most people think about habits, they focus on the behavior. They don't really think about the cue and the reward. But it turns out from laboratory studies we know that this cue and this reward become neurologically intertwined. It creates a sense of craving, and that's why a habit unfolds. And that's why ultimately why it feels so powerful. 
Well, and, and you've talked about it sort of in the maybe the positive aspect of, you know, keeping a safer workplace and moving people to action quicker. But uh, there's obviously a lot of negative habits that, that are driven by this same sort of cue routine. I mean, smoking and drinking and, uh, you know, many other the things that we would call bad habits are driven by the same process as well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and what's really interesting is that bad habits work the same way as good habits. And, and to change them is actually kind of interesting. You basically can't eradicate a habit. Once it's encoded in your neurology, it's there. But you can shift it. You can shift the routine. So for instance, I had this bad cookie habit for a long time. And, and so when I talked to psychologists, every afternoon I'd go eat a cookie in the cafeteria and sort of chat with some of my colleagues. And psychologists said, well, if you want to change this, you can't eradicate it, but you can change it. Pay attention to the cue and the reward. And so I paid attention. I figured out I was basically having a cookie urge every afternoon between 3.15 and 3.45. And, and by doing little experiments, I figured out that the reward that I was craving wasn't the cookie itself. It was the socialization opportunity. The cookie was kind of an excuse to gossip with friends. And once I'd figured that out, I was able to change the habit so that now every afternoon at about 3.30, I look around my office, I find someone to go gossip with, we gossip for 10 minutes, and the cookie urge is totally gone. And I'm actually... I've actually lost a lot of weight since then. <laughs> well, you know, I was going to ask you, obviously, del- delving deeply into the, the neurology of, of habits, good and bad, it surely has, uh, um, ha- well, uh, let me ask, uh, has it changed any of your view of your own personal habits? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, it's actually kind of revolutionized my life. Like, you know, I, I've developed these new exercise habits. I'm actually training for the New York Marathon later this year. Um, I've, lost, I've lost almost 30 pounds altogether. It's, you know, what's most surprising about doing the research is that because of what we've learned in the last 10 or 15 years, when I talk to researchers, they would tell me, you can, at this point, we can change any habit. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how ingrained that behavior is. We can change it. And we know how now. And I got to say, at least from my own experience, I've seen it to be totally true. Like there's no pattern that you can't, if you diagnose the parts, there's no pattern you can't eventually change. Well, of course, I guess it probably starts with recognizing first off that it is an involuntary action, but then also wanting to change it too, right? I mean, I, yeah, the, the, the classic story you hear so many examples of people that have tried for years to quit smoking, and then one day they, you know, they tried everything, right? They bought all the stuffs, went to uh, hypnotists, did everything, and then one day they just stopped smoking. Right, and and what's really interesting is when you talk to scientists about how that worked, what they what they say is, and in fact, people who have tried to quit smoking, the number one thing that makes it likely that you're going to be able to quit smoking is that you've tried to quit in the past and failed. People who successfully quit are people who usually have tried little experiments at quitting that haven't all been successful, but they've learned from those experiments. And so as a result, they're learning what the cues and the rewards are that smoking, that smoking provides and how to come up with something else. Um, and, and it's also, I mean, it's interesting because, as I mentioned, I'm sort of a big fan of your of your guys' website. I mean, one of the things that I found that the website emphasizes is kind of doing these little business experiments, right? Trying to learn about what works within your own company or in talking to to consumers. And and everything everything that scientists I've talked to have told me is the same is true with personal habits or organizational habits. You have to run experiments and test out theories. And then you get some data to tell you this is how you could actually achieve behavior change. So, so you can't really just do it in a strategic planning session? 
You can. I mean, I mean, if you're really lucky, you can, right? If you, if you, if you, if you figure it out, like if you really diagnose the cues and the rewards, then you can change right away. But, but some, but part of figuring that out is usually running little experiments. Like, like with my cookie habit, I would like one day I went up and I like had a candy bar instead of a cookie, and then the next day I had an apple, and then one day I went for a walk instead of having a cookie, and and then one day I just went and I had hot tea and I talked to my friends. I'm trying to isolate variables and figure out. What am I actually craving? And once you figure that out, you can change the behavior. Because once you know that you're craving, for instance, socialization, then there's a new habit for that. Or once you're figuring out that you're actually craving just a little bit of sugar, like an apple or some Splenda in a cup of tea, that works just as well. Yeah, of course, uh, you know, for, unfortunately for some people, a heart attack um, you know, is the wake-up, right? I'm sorry, you just broke up. Oh, I'm sorry. Unfortunately for some people, you know, it takes a heart attack or something, you know, to be the, oh, I guess I better change. Right, right. Right. Like the the sort of, you know, make you really aware. So, but I think what's really interesting is that most people know what bad habits they have, right? Like if you, if you ask someone, what do you want to change in your life? Everyone has an answer to that. And, and, and we now know how to kind of help you do it. Let's turn even farther to the dark side um, <laughs> of habits. Um, <laughs> because groups can be moved, uh, societies, entire societies can be influenced by the fact that somebody out there knows these habits and, and the cues. Um, do, you know, there's certainly uh, examples in your book about marketers you know, using that knowledge uh, to get you to eat that cookie at 3 o'clock. Right, and and in fact, one of the, there was an excerpt from the book that was run in the New York Times Magazine about how Target was using a lot of this information to identify customers who were pregnant, even if they hadn't told Target they were pregnant, and then to influence what those pregnant women might be buying. Now, I mean, this you know doesn't necessarily have to be used for evil, um, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately, and and in, in you know many cases, it certainly can be. However, I mean, I suppose you could flip that around and say that. Uh, um, you know, you, you talked about the the idea that you really you really don't just you, you don't change a habit or get rid of a habit. I guess a bad habit. Um, but uh, you know, I've heard people talk about all the time that you know the way that that if you want to take your business to the next level, a lot of my audience you know are small business owners. That uh, it's really just a matter of of your daily routines, your daily habits, and if you want to go to the next level, you have to think bigger, which means you have to replace that maybe with a habit that actually serves you, um, as you know, as opposed to a habit, you know, like watching TV or something, you know, when you could or should be writing a blog post. I mean, that that you have to sort of supplant the bad habits with maybe a, a habit that is more productive. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and a big part of that, frankly, is is identifying identifying rewards from those new habits, right? I mean, one of the things that we know, procrastination is a big issue for a lot of people. There's been a lot of procrastination studies. And the one thing that we know is that doesn't work in fighting procrastination is just to ignore it, to willpower, to try and willpower your way through, like, you know, doing 100 emails at one setting, what happens is that all of the all of those urges, all of that need to kind of take a mental break, it builds up, and then all of a sudden it explodes, and that's when all, you spend an hour on Facebook <laughs> instead of five minutes. So you have to kind of give yourself these little rewards throughout your day 
in order to develop habits, because that's the third part of the habit loop is rewards. So for instance, if, if you're someone who sets a goal of trying to you know, automatically you know, get deal with your, your emails as soon as they come in, which is a big issue for people, then if you make it through 20 emails, give yourself a reward that you actually enjoy for five minutes. That's going to make it so much more automatic to deal with emails. Your neurology is going to start associating emails with a positive outcome. You know, some habits that we do instinctively, you know, they don't necessarily hurt us or help us. And, you know, for example, uh, I drove to work today um, without probably thinking about how I got here, <laughs> right? Um, right. You know, I can still do it safely. I get there every day. I get home every day. But could you make a case for saying that maybe um, you actually kind of make habit change easier if you don't let yourself be so routine? So, in other words, actually interrupt your own patterns intentionally like you know the goofy thing of taking a different way home uh, every day so that you you know maybe see some new things but you're also just not sort of rutted into that you know that one way absolutely yeah i mean uh, one of the really interesting things that's come out of this research is that we know that simply changing your your routines a little bit can open up these new sort of possibilities for creativity, right? And I'm sure some of your listeners have had this experience. When you, when you, when you go on a trip and you're abroad and you're like walking to the coffee shop or you're just, you're just doing anything in sort of this unfamiliar setting and you suddenly start having all these like new creative ideas. Like it, they don't have anything to do with where you are. Just because you're walking through Spain doesn't mean, or, or Akron, Ohio, if you live in, in you know, New Jersey, doesn't, there's nothing about Akron that sort of triggers creativity except that everything's different all of a sudden. And that's one of the things that we found is that by changing the environment, by changing the cues, you often interrupt old habits. And that creates sort of a new opportunity to look at things. Like one of the most interesting things is that most people will put on their shoes or brush their teeth exactly the same way every day without even noticing it, right? Either left shoe first or right shoe first. They tie them the same way unless they're on vacation. If you're on vacation, oftentimes people will suddenly change how they put on their shoes without noticing it at all. But that's because the cues have changed. And I think the same thing is true of thinking. If you want to free up sort of your creativity, look for new environments to interrupt those old habits of thought. You know, um, I, I was all I was doing. I, was, I sort of spaced off there for a minute because I was retracing how I make the coffee every morning, and I, you know, <laughs> I could see my left hand going here and my right hand going here, and all in sort of succinct pattern. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to have to shake that up. Um, are there? I mean, can you can you actually point to say core habits that people should have? Uh, I know that's yeah. a really loaded question, but uh, because it's probably different for every person given their circumstances, but, but you reacted sort of immediately to that, so I'm going to let you go. What, what are they? So it, it's, it, there's these really interesting patterns called keystone habits, right, that, that we know from studies, both studies of companies and individual lives, that some habits matter more than others. These keystone habits, when they start to change, they seem to set off a chain reaction in people's lives. So one of the most common ones, for instance, is exercise. Studies say that when people start developing an exercise habit, they'll often start eating better. And, and that makes sense, right? Because you feel healthy, you start, stop eating fast food, you eat healthier. But people who start exercising also start using their credit cards less. <laughs> they tend to procrastinate less. They often wash their dishes more frequently. 
And so you start thinking, like, what does exercise have to do with washing your dishes or credit cards? And the answer is that for most people, exercise is a keystone habit, that it starts changing people's self-image. It starts giving them what's called the science of small wins. And that as a result, behavior change ends up kind of snowballing, this chain reaction starts. The same thing's actually true inside companies. So one of the, one of the chapters in the book is about Paul O'Neill. Before he became Treasury Secretary, he was CEO at Alcoa. And he became very famous, and that's actually why he was Treasury Secretary, because he was so successful at Alcoa. When he took over the company, everyone expected him to say he's going to focus on profits and efficiency. But what he said instead was his number one goal was changing worker safety habits, which caused shareholders to kind of freak out. But he knew that if he could unlock those habits, it would start a chain reaction. And within a year of Paul O'Neill taking over, Alcoa was the most profitable company in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. You know, that's so fascinating, too, though, because, I, I mean, it's so it's sort of counterintuitive. Um, I mean, I, I actually, after hearing you talk about it, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's kind of like, you know, let's clean up the office here and everybody all of a sudden starts acting more professional. I mean, it, it just kind of right. you know, it just kind of leads to those things, you know. Um, and, but I, I think it's one of those, I mean, really, really important elements for businesses to actually figure out what their I mean, you, you could probably make a metric. What's our key habit <laughs> uh, that, right. that we need to start measuring? Because we know that if, you know, whatever it is, we know that if everybody's exercising, if everybody's doing safety, if everybody's, you know, kind of participating in this key habit, that, that the bottom line is going to improve. That's exactly right. And, and what's really interesting about these keystone habits, and this is what I, one of the chapters actually goes into this in detail, there's ways to identify those keystone habits, right? There's actually three characteristics that most keystone habits have. It, they create, number one, they create platforms for other habits in a way that we explain. Number two is the science of small wins, which is really, really interesting because it's a way of basically kind of A, getting momentum and B, sort of doing experiments in, in how a company works. But th- third, it changes your self-image. Like the same way that like, for instance, when you start exercising, you start thinking about yourself differently. Or when a company says our goal is zero injuries and worker safety habits, the company starts thinking about itself differently. It's enormously powerful to change the culture of a company or a life. But but once you do, you start really playing with its habits. Yeah, I um, uh, one of my recent books is called The Referral Engine, and the one of the things I talk about in that is – is or at least I sort of propose. Uh, I was on shakier ground research-wise than you, but um, that uh, um, that that if you made the goal to get a, a referral from 100% of your customers, would that change the way that everybody went about doing their work? And and I I think that it, it a simple thing like that actually can have a dramatic impact. Yeah, I mean that sounds that sounds exactly like a keystone habit, right? Because every time you're interacting with a customer, you're thinking in the back of your head. I'm going to ask this person for a referral in 30 minutes or in two days. Like that changes how you habitually respond to them, right? When they, when they ask for that extra like little thing, you're just going to automatically say yes. Yeah. And, and, in if, the back of your and head. if it's everybody's job, you know, you're not going to say it's not my job. Right. Right. <laughs> right exactly. Yeah. And if that's the, if that's the metric that everyone's applying to themselves, I mean, the truth of the matter is that like what you have for lunch today or how you treat one customer in the grand scheme of life, that doesn't matter, right? It's just one instance. But how you, what you habitually have for lunch or how you habitually treat your customers, that makes all the difference. And, and the truth is that 
in order to influence how you treat every customer, you have to make it a habit. Because otherwise, if, you, if it's something special, something you really have to think about and deliberate on, it means that nine out of every ten customers aren't getting that treatment. Well, and I, I'd suggest it starts before that. You, you, it starts with how you treat your employees um, because, yeah. they're, because they're treating the customers exactly the way they're being treated themselves. I think probably. that's exactly right. Yeah. So, well, Charles, this is absolutely fascinating and has so much application to, to obviously every individual, uh, but certainly to businesses as well. And I really appreciate you joining me. I'm talking to Charles Duig. It's the power of habit and uh, on top of uh, you know, if Oprah still had a show, I'm sure you'd be on that. But uh, but you're uh, <laughs> but but you 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 are definitely uh, hitting the circuit uh, uh, in the interviews and and obviously uh, doing great work at the New York Times as well. And I, I really appreciate you joining me. And I, I I know we'll see you out there. Uh, I'll make it a habit to see you out there on the road. How's that? Oh, fantastic, man! And, and yeah, and if any of your listeners, I, I'm just Charles at CharlesDuhig.com. Um, if, if anyone would like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. And you know what? I, I, even though I just signed off uh, for us, I forgot. I wanted to talk a little bit. You had mentioned this idea of, um, and, and it isn't started yet, so by the time somebody's listening to this, uh, maybe it will be, maybe it won't be, but you would mentioned this idea of, of kind of starting to study people's habits or routines and, and uh, um, uh, tell people where, well, I know where they can tell them where they can go find more about the power of habit. But assuming you get that other kind of routine thing started, I'm assuming it'll be there as well. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, it, it, we're going to start it on my blog and then eventually move it to the Times. Um, so if they come to to CharlesDuhig.com or ThePowerOfHabit.com, we're going to start asking people how how they what routines do they have that make them successful and it's kind of a way to to get a snapshot on people's lives yeah hopefully yeah. hopefully lots of people will will be interested by it well you, you know quite frankly just because i find this very fascinating to me it would be almost like going to an art exhibit you know to just kind of line these things up and watch how how what people do because we are all so routine i mean you know 40% of what we do as we already talked about you know we don't really even consciously think about it anymore and i think it'd be fascinating study yeah, me too. I'm really curious, and and if anyone is interested in participating, I'd I'd love to hear from them because we're we're looking for folks who who have thought about their habits yeah. to, uh, to to explain. And if anybody needs to cook to uh, to kick the cookie habit, you know Charles is there for you. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> Charles. Th thanks so much again, and we will talk. Thank soon. you for having me. Take care.